All right. Um, yes, I have. My name is Mike DeLuca. I am the crazy youth pastor who has planned some crazy activities for our students next Sunday night. So if you're a student or your parent, game on. All right. So we are in our last installment of our summer series called But God. And we've covered a few topics, quite a few actually. And I don't know about you, but for me personally, it's been really interesting it's been really helpful to compare the but God statements in Scripture, all throughout Scripture, that speak truth to a lot of my own personal but I statements or reasons or excuses. I have a lot of but I's. And so this summer has personally been a blessing for me. I hope it has been for you. If you have missed any or if you've been here each and every week, here's a quick recap of several of the topics. We talked about how we feel that God seems to forget about us but God remembers you. We talked about forgiveness, but I just can't forgive. But God demonstrates his love for you that while you're still sinning, therefore you can, and we really need to. Then Isaac talked about, but God is the one who battles for you. Then, but how do you explain evil things happening? Pastor John spoke of, but God in his mysterious ways uses them for good. Two weeks ago, but I thought Christianity was just this list of do's and don'ts. But no, it's not really that. But God shows you Jesus. And then last week, but God doesn't look at your outward appearance. He looks at your heart, and so should we. So how do we end this series going into summer, or going into school year, excuse me? Well, allow me to, to share a story I read about the life of John Newton because I think that his story relates to what we'll see in Scripture today, how I want to end our, our summer, because his story is a lot like ours. So let me show you. John Newton, he was born in 1725. He had a religious mom. He had an irreligious, seafaring dad. He was a sailor, his dad. His mom died when he was a kid, so he was raised by his dad. And literally, John Newton became known as a drunken sailor. So John Newton, he had the reputation of being able to cuss for two hours straight without repeating himself. That's quite the reputation. Don't know how you accomplished that one. That's impressive. So he sailed, and everybody kind of hated John. And eventually, he was abandoned on the coast of Africa. And there he got captured, and he was a slave for two years. And he was tortured, and he, and he, he was starved. That sounds like a great life so far. One day, he was finally able to escape. He found his way onto another boat, became part of a crew, and there, with all that pain and rage in his heart, John Newton became a slave trader. It's interesting. He bought and sold men, women, children in Africa, split up their families for money. That's the career he chose. That's where life brought him to. He was a mess of a human being, and he kind of was an absolute monster. What would he be thinking of his life at this point? Like, if that were you, right? You grew up in the 1700s, and all that stuff happened to you. What would you be thinking of your life? You were a slave, and then you became a slave trader, and just, oh. Hey, Ma, look at me. I'm crushing it. Like, nah, I don't, no, I don't think so. If it were me, I'd be quite ashamed. I'd be embarrassed. Yeah, I'd be angry. I'd probably be a wreck. No, Ma, don't look at me. My life's a mess. I'm lost. I lost my career, lost my family, lost my sense of self, lost my reputation. Didn't have a great one to begin with. My identity, my whole point of living, I've lost everything. I really screwed up. 
I don't think it can get any worse, but I certainly don't think it can get, turn around and get any better. It's like this you know, downward spiral of emotions into this bottomless pit of despair. There isn't any hope for me. So today, I want to address hopelessness and how it applies to all of us. Maybe, and maybe some of you don't feel that way. You know, maybe some of you, you're here and you're crushing it. Everything's going your way. You're just lighting it up at every level. You're winning at life. And maybe you've never felt hopeless. And if that's true, don't worry. I'll get to what you can do later. But some of us know what it feels like to, to not feel like we're winning. We're weighed down by life. And, I mean, according to the World Health Organization, approximately, this is true, you can look it up, approximately 280 million people struggle with depression. Another article stated that as of 2021, 53%, more than half of Americans, experience not being able to stop or control worrying. And 60% of Americans are experiencing anxiety. It's a lot. Maybe you put on, maybe, maybe we put on a good show for our peers in public, but in reality our heart isn't doing so great. Maybe we wake up in the morning and feel, well, my dreams are shot. I certainly screwed that up. Or, and I deal with students, so I know it's in every one of us, or maybe I'm the screw up. What I had hoped for in my life isn't coming true. And I know it just won't come true. This, is a, this idea of hopeless despair. My girlfriend, boyfriend dumped me. My relationships are in shambles. I'll never be like that person, but I certainly screwed up my kids. My life is over, but I can't come back from this. I feel like the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I'm not winning, I'm drowning. If that's where you are this morning, Perfect! Amen. Amen. That's right, John. Because that's where God does his best work. Let me show you what I mean. Today we're going to look at the life of Jonah, particularly his prayer from within a fish explaining his experience. And if you don't know anything about Jonah, here's a quick, a quick background. Jonah was a prophet in the Old Testament, somebody who knew God, and spoke to God for the people, spoke to people for God. And God told him, hey, go and preach to one specific group of people who desperately need to hear from me. That's what God's telling Jonah. He calls Jonah, hey, go to Nineveh, the capital city of the greatest, most powerful, most violent and dangerous nation of the day. It's modern day Iraq, most violent and and dangerous place, and was the neighboring city at the time to Israel. Those are neighbors. That's where Jonah lived. And the Ninevites, they hated the Israelites, and the, and the Israelites, they hated the Ninevites. So what God was calling Jonah to do in Jonah's defense was kind of crazy. Like, hey, Jonah, go preach Jesus to those people that you hate, that hate you. It's going to be dangerous, but go. You, I mean, you'd be like, what? No. No way. Not, not only that, but Jonah, being a prophet all, he knew the power of God. He knew what God was going to do. He was going to go save the Ninevites. And Jonah was like, I don't want you to save them. I hate them. No, I'm not bringing you to them, God. So Jonah was like, nope. 
I hear you, God. I'm not doing that. You're telling me to go this way. I'm going to go that way, the very opposite direction. He hops on a boat and starts sailing. Nineveh is this way. I'm sailing the other way. And some of you know this story. And then God sends a violent storm. His co-sailors blame Jonah, and Jonah gives them permission. Yeah, go ahead, you can throw me overboard, <laughs> which is funny. They give him he gives them permission, throw me overboard. And then Jonah gets swallowed by this fish. The first chapter of Jonah describes the human tendency to run away from God and that tendency in each of us to distance ourselves from God, from the source of life in our pursuit of life. It's otherwise known as sin. And so today we'll read Jonah's prayer in chapter two. It points us to the tendency in the heart of God to chase us even as we run from him and to give us life, to give us some hope, to redeem us and to bring us up out of our so let's start reading in the book of Jonah, chapter 2, verse 1. From inside the fish, Jonah prayed to the Lord his God. He said, in my distress, I called to the Lord. Okay, so remember everything I just said about Jonah, Jonah the prophet, Jonah the supposedly spokesperson of God, ran away from what God told him to do. God sent a storm. Therefore, Jonah almost got his crewmates killed, thrown overboard, inside the fish. I called to the Lord. From deep in the realm of the dead, I called for help from the realm of the dead. See, Jonah thinks, yep, I'm dead, which is what Newton, John Newton, must have thought too. I'm about to die. I imagine Jonah feeling pretty hopeless with his life at this point. God, my life is a wreck. I've screwed everything up, and I know it. It's no one's fault but mine, and now I'm about to die. I don't know what else to do. What does Jonah do? He calls out to the Lord. And then Jonah says, and you listened to my cry. And often we think God doesn't answer. According to Jonah, you listened to my cry. For Jonah, it might not have been the answer he was expecting. It might not have been the answer he wanted. Hey, God, I'm literally drowning here. Like, literally. God, can you save me? And God answered with being swallowed by a fish. Thanks. Verse 3, you hurled me into the depths, into the very heart of the seas, and the currents swirled about me. All your waves and breakers swept over me. And Jonah, in his prayers to God, says, you hurled me into the depths. He blames God. Wait, hold on. So Jonah's blaming God, but back in chapter 1, when the storm was raging, who threw Jonah into the sea? Whose fault was it for Jonah drowning? Let's look at chapter 1, verse 11. The sea was getting rougher and rougher. This is the storm. So they, the sailors, asked him, what should we do to make the sea calm down for us? And Jonah says, pick me up. Jonah said, pick me up and throw me into the sea, he replied, and it will become calm. I know that it is my fault that this great storm has come over upon you. So Jonah just admitted it. It's my fault. Go ahead, throw me over. Verse 15, then they took and threw Jonah overboard, and the raging sea grew calm. So didn't, didn't the men hurl him in? Didn't Jonah say, okay? Why in Jonah's prayer in chapter 2 does he say, talking to God, you, God, hurled me in? One of, the, one of two things crossed my mind. Is Jonah blaming God for something the sailors did? You know, look what you did, God. 
gee, thanks. But Jonah told him, throw him off. So was it the sailor's fault? Was it Jonah's fault? Was it God's? Or maybe more likely that when Jonah was praying, he was recognizing God's hand in the discipline. You hurled me into the sea. This is your hand and this is your discipline. Jonah, in his mind, probably undeserving to live. He was in the sea because it was his fault. What was his fault? He had run from God. Like you and I tend to run from God. We sin, and God let him have what he wanted. You want life apart from me? Go for it. That will not go well for you, Jonah, but here you go. Jonah was reaping what he sowed and got what he deserved as he sank. And what's interesting to me in verse 4, Jonah says, I have been banished from your sight, yet I will look again toward your holy temple. Your holy temple. He says that again in verse 7. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. And, I, and when I was reading this, you know, you and I go, what? If we really pick this apart, which is fun to do, why in the world is Jonah talking about a building when he's drowning? When he's inside, the, I'm looking to your temple, God, as I'm drowning. Well, for Jonah, let's understand this. Who was a Jew, the center of the world that was the nation of Israel, and the center of Israel was the city of Jerusalem. It's the one place in the world where three continents, they connect and they make a land bridge, so they called it, oh, for them that was the center of earth. Israel, center of Israel, Jerusalem, center of Jerusalem was the temple. And in the center of the temple, there was a room called the Holy of Holies. And the temple was a picture, this is where God dwells. This, is, this room represents the presence of God. Now what does that have to do with Jonah? In his prayer, when my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you, to your holy temple. When I was literally dying, drowning, I cried out to you, Lord, and to your temple? What was Jonah looking for in that moment? He was looking for the presence of God. I'm looking for the presence of God. God, as I'm dying, please be with me. I'm looking to your temple. Even though I feel like I've got no business asking for it, I feel pretty deep in my in my sorrow, but I will cry out anyway. So back to verse 5, the engulfing waters, they threatened me, the deep surrounded me, seaweed was wrapped around my head, to the roots of the mountains I sank down, the earth beneath barred me in forever. Sounds like an uplifting prayer. This is where Jonah reveals probably how he's truly feeling about his life. I'm drowning. Literally, figuratively. And then right when Jonah was at probably the worst possible moment, he says, but you, Lord my God, but God, this is the but God, you brought my life up from the pit. Among, among all the but eyes, the thoughts of I've screwed up can never change what's happening, but no, nothing is going to change. Among all the pressure that's like seaweed wrapped around his head, here's what God does, but God brings my life up from the pit. So I don't know about you. I don't know how far down in the, in, the, in the pit you think you might be. You may have descended to the roots of the mountains and you feel like the earth with its bars around you forever, or maybe it's not you, maybe you know someone. But let me tell you something, but God brings your life up from the pit. He brings our lives up from the pit. Whether you believe in God or not, 
whether you truly believe that God can and does bring your life up from the pit, that he really can redeem any situation, whether you say, Mike, I don't really believe that, or yep, I already do. We are all kind of like Jonah. There is a tendency in all of us to run from God. There's something broken in each of us that we all tend to run the other way. For many of us, the shame and the hopelessness can sometimes feel worse because we feel like we should know better. Jonah was a prophet of God, someone who spoke for God, and when God called him, he ran. There's no more of an embarrassing place to be when you know better. And, and I know many, many Christians that are in the business today of not needing to be saved from the penalty of sin, but maybe from the power of it. Maybe we need to be saved from that every day. And maybe that's your pit. Maybe it's not hopelessness, but maybe it's feeling stuck by the power of sin in your life. And you feel like there's just no way out. It's just happening over and over and over and over again. You've tried everything. Nothing seems to be working. Nothing seems to be giving you rest from the sin, and that's what feels like it's weighing you down, barring you for forever. Maybe that's your pit. Sometimes people even embrace some of their, you know, victimization and their identity, who I am, becomes not what they've done, but what's been done to them. But you need to know that your identity, it's not your lot, your identity, it's not your circumstance you used to face or that you're facing now or will one day face, it's in your God and God is the one who redeems you from your pits. So how, 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 Mike? I don't want to say, hey, God does this, okay, see you go. Like, that's not helpful. So how? What do I got to do? How do I, how do I embrace this but God idea of he brings my life up from the pit? He gives me some hope. Well, let's remember Mr. Newton, John Newton, the sailor. One day when his life was already wasn't going awesome, a storm came. You can look this up. This is interesting when I was reading about it. It's kind of similar to Jonah. In the middle of it, he realizes, I'm probably going to die. So he does something that he hadn't done since he lost his religious mom. He started to pray, and he yelled three words. And I, and I picture it, you know, in my mind, him going, ah, in the storm. Ah. We were just watching Pirates of the Caribbean uh, the past couple of days, and, you know, like, ah. that's how I picture this scene, right? And he goes, God, help me. He yells three words into the storm. Sounds like Jonah. When my life was ebbing away, I remembered you, Lord, and my prayer rose to you. God, help me. So Jonah calls out like John Newton prayed in the storm. So the first thing that you have to do when you feel like your life is headed in the, in the direction of that pit, whatever that means for you, or you're already right at the bottom of it, or one day if you do get there, the first thing you got to do is cry out. God, help me. Jesus, if you forgive people, forgive me. I need it. If you're a savior, then save me. You don't have to clean yourself up in order to, to come to that moment. You just have to admit you're already dirty. You just have to call out. I meet so many people who are, are weighed down by the circumstances of their life. 
regardless of whose fault it is. I remember at one of the 30-hour famine events that we do here in the youth ministry every February, it's probably my favorite thing event-wise that we do. One time I had students write down on a piece of paper, on a note card, I said, hey, you know, write down what's, what's weighing you down. What's, what are you struggling with? What do you want to, you know, give to the Lord? Like, what's been on your heart? All those cues, right? And then I brought down a wooden cross that we have in the attic up at Grace House, and I put it right here in the middle of the room. And then I brought some nails, and I brought some hammer, a, a hammer, and I said, all right, when you're ready, I want you to come, and I want you to literally nail it to the cross. And some time went by, and then eventually, finally, uh, I, I, I took them down. I left, it, I left them up there for a while, but then eventually one day, you know, I just took them down and I read them, and I kept some of them. And I, and man, like, these are the easy ones. Sadness. Loneliness and my stress, anxiety. All my guilt and for the things I regret. I don't want to be afraid anymore. I'm tired of feeling stressed and sad all the time, of having to fake being okay to make everyone else happy. Those are the easy ones. Stress, anxiety, sadness, lustful thoughts, guilt, regret, on and on they went. And it, and it overwhelmed me, the weight of my students. And the truth is, it's no different for any of you in this room. It's no different than me. For some of you, maybe it's insecurities. Pastor John did a wonderful job preaching last week of what God is looking at and what we need to look at too. He looks at the heart. But some of the insecurity is still maybe there in your mind. Maybe for others of you, maybe it's sadness. Maybe it's depression. Maybe you're discouraged. It haunts you and is waiting for you every day. Honestly, for some of us, maybe, maybe it's lust. It's pornography that is soaking our culture. And I hate that. I don't hate that person that's struggling with it. I just hate watching what it does to people. It's destroying us. All those things, all those feelings, I don't know what is specifically for you. But I want to say to you that there is, in fact, rescue. But God does really bring your life up from the pit. There's hope for you. It's not, hey, go clean yourself up first. It's while my life was ebbing away. It's while, oh, my life's a mess, but I can't, I, uh, I cry out to you, God. First we cry out. And then what? Well, let's look at what Jonah does. Here's how he concludes his prayer. Those who cling to the worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. Why does he say something about idols at the end of his prayer? Another version says those who cling to worthless idols, I love this part, forfeit the grace that could be theirs. If you cling to idols, you forfeit the grace that could be theirs. An idol is something that in those times would be something that, you know, people worshipped, they looked to, they relied on, they put their hope in. Instead of, Lord, Jonah's saying, if you're clinging to an idol, anything other than God, you, you turn away from the love of God, you are forfeiting the grace that could be yours. Eh, no thanks, I'm good. Then Jonah proclaims in verse 9, but I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will make good, I will say salvation comes from the Lord. 
Jonah is owning it. He's repentful. He's saying, I used to cling to this worthless idol. And I think for Jonah, that was probably his own anger, his own unforgiveness, his, himself. I was all caught up but with myself, but I'm not going to do that. What I vowed, I will make good. I said I was a prophet of God. I will go and be one. I heard you. I ran away. But now, God, I repent. I'm changing the way I think. I'm changing the direction of my life, and I will go to Nineveh. So first, we cry out, God, help me. And then we have to repent. We have to change the way we think. We have to change the direction of our lives. We have to change what's how, what we're feeling about. And for Jonah, it was very literal. You need to go a different direction. You and I, what we need to do, we need to own it. Yep, I was wrong, God. The, man, the amount of times I've said that. God, I was wrong. I was clinging to a worthless idol. I was worshiping anything and everything. I didn't realize it. Maybe I did. But God, I, I repent. I'm sorry. I'm changing the way I think, and I'm going to change the way my life is going to go. Now, does that solve everything in an instant? Poof. No. Obviously not. I'm struggling with this sin. Mike, I cried out. God, fix it. I want it fixed now. Is that how it works? No. You know that. Ben Stewart, pastor of Passion City Church, he puts it this way. I quote, if that's how it were to happen with Jonah, he would have just landed on the shore. God, help. Standing on the shore. Whoa. But God didn't do that. He sent a fish. Now, when you're drowning, a fish is great. But objectively speaking, the belly of a fish, surviving in the fish intestines, would not be the most comfortable place to hang out for three days. End quote. So did Jonah get saved from death? Yeah, did, but it was not very comfortable. What happens next isn't comfortable. Next, we have to admit that we're wrong. Jonah was like, yep, I'm wrong. I was the problem, and I feel the weight of me being the problem. It feels pretty hopeless. So, God, I cried out to you. I admit that there's something in me that's the problem. That's his whole prayer. Verse 10, and the Lord commanded the fish, and it vomited Jonah onto dry land. Imagine being vomited out onto dry land from a fish. If you have kids, vomit's not the most fun picture in the world for you. Now what? I cried out. I admitted my sin. What's the last thing I got to do to get out of this feeling of hopelessness? Well, what does Jonah do? The first verses of the next chapter, chapter 3, here's what Jonah does. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Hey, Jonah, remember? Hey, go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. And then Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went. Maybe you felt hopeless and you have experienced how God brought you out of your pit. And you know very personally how God redeems your life and your mind to think very differently. He changes your heart to start caring about things differently. You know very intimately the second chances that God gives you. If that's you, then I have to ask, what would it look like for you to give someone else a second chance? If you're already there, out of your pit, maybe it's no longer about you. Maybe God is up to something in you so he can do something through you. Or maybe you've never felt that way in your life. If that's you, tell me your secret. But I have to tell you, you will be one day. 
Don't just tune out and go, ah, this isn't really for me. One day this might just be for you, or better yet, as a follower of Christ. Do you play any role in helping other people out of the pit? Maybe God is sending you and wants to use you to help the drowning people in your life. There's likely someone here today or, or, or watching online, maybe in your neighborhood, maybe in your school, maybe at your job, on your team, in your family, who feels like they're drowning. And maybe just maybe God wants to use you as the instrument of healing and hope for them. I remember one time when I was working in ministry and, and there were some, some young men in, in in the youth group who told me about what was going on in their lives. And it was heartbreaking for me to hear, and it felt, for this student, he felt like it was all his fault. He had lots of shame, he had lots of sadness, lots of confusion as to why things were happening th this way. And I told him, hey man, like, hey, first of all, I'm really glad you're bringing it to me and we're talking about this. And then eventually I started to encourage him, I really think, I think, really think that your peers need, need to hear this from you. I, I think that you need to share this with the group. Because I bet at least one of them is struggling with this too. And, and he goes, no, like, no, no way. Like, ah, I'm not, I'm not ready for that. Like, no. But I knew that there was another kid who had told me a similar thing that he was struggling with. The exact same thing. And of course, I, you know, I didn't push him. I didn't say anything about it. I just let it go. I said, okay. It's not my story to tell. And so one time at a youth retreat, we're all together sitting in this group. We're all processing some things that we were talking about, experiencing what we heard about. And then this one man, this young man, he gets bold, and he builds up the courage to share his story with the group. And the coolest thing happened. As soon as he said that, the other kid who was struggling with the same thing goes, yeah, yeah, me too. And they prayed for each other, and the, and the group dynamic totally changed. Now, does that prayer solve it all? No, but they had a place to take it. They had a place to start. They had a group of people that was there with them. So was that fish comfortable for Jonah? No, probably not. But God brought them out of that pit, and in that instance, it was through each other. The next thing that Jonah does that you and I need to do, the third thing, the last thing, is we need to obey God, and we need to start living differently. We need to start maybe, and, and this is, man, this is hitting me this morning, honestly. I need to start allowing God to use us. Start looking for ways that God is already using us and wants to use us. I mean, that's what John Newton did. John Newton, he, he had that awful reputation. He had an awful way of living. And he cried out, God, help me. And then the next series of events led to his life changing forever. One day, someone invited him to a meeting like this. Invited him to church. Hey, come to church with me. And he started hearing about the hope of God that came from Jesus, that he would forgive even somebody like him. And Newton believed it, and then he started to live completely and radically different. And then three things, this is interesting to me, three things became the reputation of John Newton. And those three things were the reputation for the rest of his life. Not that he was a drunken sailor, not that he was a slave trader, not that he was an awful person or human being. One is that he became a pastor. Two, he worked tirelessly to abolish slavery, and they did in England. They did. And then three, he became famous for the song that he wrote. Anyone know the song John Newton wrote? Amazing Grace. See, that's, you knew that, that was his reputation. So can God make an addict sober? Yes, he can. 
can God make a racist into an abolitionist? Absolutely. But God brought his life out of the pit and he can bring you out of yours. He can bring your neighbors out of theirs. He, rege he redeemed, he, he changed John Newton's story, he redeemed Jonah's, he can redeem yours. I don't know what you're dealing with, I don't know what's going on in your life or what's been going on with you this summer, but I do know, I know, maybe you just need someone to know it for you, I know that you're not too deep in your pit. Your past isn't too icky and God wants to heal you. Or maybe God wants to heal someone around you that just needs to know the love and the forgiveness that Jesus offers them through you. Maybe it's for you or maybe it's for someone else. And that may mean making that counseling phone call that you don't want to make. Hey, I'm the problem. I need help. God help me. Maybe it's confessing to a buddy. Hey, I struggle with this and I don't want this to control my life anymore. Maybe for you it's saying, okay, I'm going to show up to church. I'm signing up. And that won't solve it all instantly, but that's the start. My desire is that one day you'll be able to say what Jonah says when he sees that he's not going to drown. Salvation comes from the Lord. I will declare it. But God brings my life up out of the pit. How? We cry out, we admit we're wrong, and we obey and we live differently. So despite all of our but eyes that we addressed this summer, and whenever they creep up in our minds and in our hearts, let us be a people that think and that live, but God. Amen. Let's do.